0: everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss, and I'm a licensed therapist specializing in OCD and anxiety disorders. Thank you all so much for joining me. So while this is typically a question and answer based podcast today, I'm not going to be answering a question specifically, but um, I'm going to have on this is an interview question I have with a couple of therapists uh, who were kind enough to join me to talk about health anxiety it seems to be a bit of a theme going on I had an episode a couple uh, episodes back talking about kind of an overview of health anxiety but uh, today I got a chance to uh, interview uh, two folks or two folks are the that are the authors of a book that is currently out you can currently go and purchase this book on health anxiety so I'll tell you a little bit about them uh, in just a moment, but if you have a question for them or a question about health anxiety, uh, they've agreed to join me for a future episode if uh, if we get questions about health anxiety. And uh, so you can send those questions in by going to over to fearcastpodcast.com and sending me a message over there by clicking on the submit a question link. You can also send me an audio question over through Instagram. I am over at Instagram at fearcastpodcast there. And um, you can either uh, send me a text uh, there or send me a DM or you can send me me an audio DM there that's kind of the easiest way to send in your audio questions If you notice on some of the episodes you'll get a you'll hear audio from uh, some listeners they send me an audio typically there they just send me a DM and they record their voice there or you can record your voice on your uh, on your phone and just email it to questions at fearcastpodcast.com or uh, go over and uh, uh, send me the link to a shared Google Drive etc cetera, etc cetera. you've heard me talk about this before so uh, let me introduce the two uh, authors. And then I'll jump into the interview. So the two authors are Dr. Josh Spitalnik and Michael Steer. They are both with the Anxiety Specialists of Atlanta, and they are Anxiety and OCD Specialists. As I mentioned before, they are the authors of uh, of the book, The Complete Guide to Overcoming Health Anxiety. And the subtitle, which is fantastic, is Because You're Not Dead Yet. So I had a great time interviewing them. They're very knowledgeable, very thoughtful people, and they offer a great way to start viewing um, uh, uh, struggles with health anxiety, how to overcome health anxiety, and how to work with the realities of being a human with health and anxiety. So without further ado, everybody, here is my interview with Dr. Josh Spitalnik and Michael Steer. All right, Josh and Michael, excuse me, Josh Spitalnik and Michael Steer. Thank you all so much and for sir. joining me today. These are the authors of the upcoming or excuse me, the out and about book on health anxiety, health anxiety, how to live your life to the fullest because you're not dead yet. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having yes. us yet. Thanks for having us. Yet, yes, yet. Well, yes. awesome. Well, I appreciate both of you joining me today to talk about the book. But more importantly, just talking about the subject of health anxiety, and treating anxiety just in general. So we were bantering about back and forth on where we wanted to go in this episode and how we wanted to address this. But I suppose, why don't we start by talking about um, talking about what is what's health anxiety? And how do you tr- how, how, what is treatment for health anxiety, in general, so you fix everybody, you guys can do that, right?
1: Yeah, we can. I think we can fix everybody, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and, um, you know, when we think about health anxiety, and, and this is what I think is important about uh, how we started this book yet, it's, you would think that the first chapter that we would start with would be about uh, health anxiety. Uh, you would think actually, that, right? You would think, you would think. Um, but, you know, I, I think what's important about this and, and how we were kind of structuring the book is that. You know, we could look at, and it's important to kind of create those distinctions with health anxiety, but it's also important about what kind of mindset that you can bring into this as well. Um, because if we come into it with a uh, with a mindset that's not very helpful, um, you can have all the knowledge and information about what to do in some of these situations, uh, but it's important to be able to have that found as a foundation as well. If we're going to jump into chapter two, so if you're going to skip chapter one, which I think we put in there somewhere to don't do that. So, and Definitely. if you did, so we don't try to skip catch chapter you. one. Yep, correct. Back to the beginning.
0: The answers are in the first chapter, but if you go to the second chapter, you're, yeah... Yeah, exactly. You just gave it all
2: away. You just ruined the whole book. Oh, man.
1: <laughs> so hopefully they 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 listen to this after they read the book, so they don't get that. Um, you know, but when we think about health anxiety, that's just kind of uh, sometimes whenever I give presentations, I I kind of mess with people and, uh, and I say, hey, we're going to talk about health anxiety today, but just kidding. There's really no such thing, although there is, uh, but that's what we just kind of lovingly call some of these different things that can happen, such as illness, anxiety disorder, disorder somatic symptom disorder and then also we talk a little bit about ocd in the book too um and people might read that and they say wait a second ocd i thought we were talking about health anxiety but i think what we can recognize is that these things work quite in a similar fashion so when we think about these different things that we can kind of get into them as we talk, um, but these are the three categories that we're kind of talking about is, and this is kind of what we put under our book as the, you know, kind of the culmination of what we would call health anxiety, which is just being very scared about some of the experiences that we might have uh, or things that could happen or what a symptom could mean. Um, and, and sometimes those just really get stuck and become intrusive to life. Josh, what would you add? So
2: when we talk about health anxiety, uh, Kevin, I think it's critical to know that sometimes it is actual fear about your real medical issues. And though that's not the diagnosis that we're often talking about that Michael alluded to. If you have a medical issue, acute or chronic, and you're worried about it, that's still health anxiety. And we just call it something else. We usually call it an adjustment reaction or something like that. But a lot of the times people have fears about their medical well-being when either there's no proven medical issue or there's no physical issues going on. And so those two categories is really where a lot of the book talks about. Um, But as Michael said, we look at health anxiety um, as nothing more than a subset of what we view OCD to be, which is just a preoccupation with things that, for the most part, if you don't have an active medical issue, are you prognosticating or worrying about something that hasn't happened yet. And it's weird to say that to someone because we run support groups. Michael and I run free support groups. We run treatment groups. And we see people individually, like most people around the country. And I like to tell people that until you give me a proven medical issue, and by the way, if you do, we'll support you on that and we'll talk about that, which is not the primary focus of this book, but until me, you show me your diagnosis of cancer or Lou Gehrig's disease or diabetes or you know tuberculosis or HIV, until you give me that, at a minimum, you either haven't been to the doctor and don't know, or the doctor's lying to you, or the doctor mixed up the labs, or the doctor hasn't gotten the labs, Or you don't have something. And I don't know which one of those categories it is. What I do know is, currently, if we're not dealing with a real medical issue, you don't have a medical issue for us to be treating medically, thank goodness, because we're not medical doctors. But you might have a physical symptom, or a lot of physical symptoms that are scaring the, you know, you know what out of you. And we want to support you and treat those. Or, even if you have no physical symptoms, we know you're worrying. So the beauty is, Kevin, that whether someone has physical symptoms or not, we have a bunch of skills that we've learned from OCD that apply perfectly to how we treat health anxiety, and we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, during this during this meeting today. That's
0: fantastic, I all that def- that that distinction between the two sides of things. One, you can certainly have anxiety about actual medical issues that you currently do have and you can have anxiety kind of the second category of, of fears about potential medical illnesses i think in ocd land we often talk about the potential and worrying about things that aren't in existence but it's also incredibly valid to have anxiety about the physical illness that you currently have but then imagination and fear can jump in about what's going to happen what might happen and that puts both people back in the same boat
2: they're in they're in the same boat it's it's the
0: same situation and we even see people that have
2: histories of medical issues and because of those traumatic Mm -hmm. experiences they're worried about the next you know the next bout with cancer the next bout with said condition absolutely but we don't treat it any differently again it's it's without oversimplifying it if you're battling a medical issue not only should you be being treated and followed by a medical provider But therapists around the country can support you in your medication adherence and the things you're struggling with and getting family to support you. All the things that someone would go through when they're battling genuine medical issues. But until you give me that medical diagnosis, and when we work with someone at the beginning, one of the first things that Michael and I talk about in the book and in our practice is, hey, if you haven't had a medical workup, you haven't met with a physician and you're concerned about his issues, we want you to go meet with a doctor. We don't want to acknowledge only, not, only not want to get in the way of that. We sure as heck don't want to start treatment if this can be simply solved with a pill or a procedure. But if you don't have a prevailing medical issue either because you don't have it or you don't know of it yet, there's still lots of work that we can do. And Kevin, you know that's identical to OCD. I don't know if something bad's gonna happen to you. I don't know if you're gonna do something bad. But until it happens, I'm going to operate like you don't want to or you're not going to because that's all the information I can work on the here, the now and the facts. And as we say, if it happens down the road, you don't need a therapist. You need a judge, a lawyer, a rabbi or the clergy. And we'll be there for you and we'll cry with you and we'll support you. But until that terrible thing happens, let's talk about how we can live in the now. Do things that align with your values. Face your fears head on that are safe. And teach your world that's bigger, not smaller.
0: So I suppose we'll end it here then, yeah? How all we need us? All right. There we go. All right, that was a good episode. Sort of fixed everybody. Well, uh, I suppose, all right, I suppose to get to that. So you, you talked about thinking differently. I think that's, there's a tremendous shift that needs to happen. I think for every single person that we work, for every single person, there needs to be this mental shift about what it means to be what it means to think about your health, think about your relationship with it, and then your relationship within relationship to the world and your future. You know, we we hear a lot of things about you know being careful about your health. We see ads. I, I don't know. You got y'all are in, in Atlanta, California. We have all these ads for for medical conditions. Do y'all have those? Or oh, med, yeah. medicines? All right, it's, medicines, COVID, masks, you name it. Yeah. So, we're, we're inundated with care for your health, look for your health, hey, have you talked to your doctor about this thing? So, it feels as if we ought to be caring for our health as the most important thing in our life, but you're also talking about this mental shift that needs to take place. Can you tell me about this shift?
1: I, I think the one thing that um, <clears throat> comes to my mind, and I was having a wonderful discussion in one of our consult groups this morning that I get the pleasure to be able to run, is um, you know, this is a really hard decision because we have health and we also have anxiety around health and in, in a lot of other ways we might be able to rule out one or the other um you know not many times are we are we going through and testing for you know certain things with ocd to be like let's make sure you're not this or that and also practicing therapy around that um not usually we're identifying those things as ego dystonic most likely and moving forward in that way health it kind of becomes a different ballgame because um, yeah, surprisingly, uh, sometimes people deal with more than just one health issue uh, or there's other things going on on top of the things that are also scaring them. So we kind of have this parallel process that I think makes it kind of challenging where if we have anxiety around our health and we're also getting medical treatments for things, things get a little, get a little muddy at that point because then we have to work to be able to separate out what goes into what category, how do I know what to pursue or not to pursue? um, and, And it starts to get really jumbled in those cases. So I think what's important is, is as we're working with people, and I think what's important is being able to start to have those discussions. And one of the things that Josh had mentioned a little bit earlier that I think him and I do a lot of I think it's an important integral part of this, is to be able to try to get all of these parts and pieces of the treatment team on board in terms of whether we're getting background information uh, from the client or coordinating information uh, or with their permission, being able to try to talk and discuss some of these things with medical providers can be a huge asset, not, on the, not only on the aspect of being able to kind of know maybe how to handle some of these things and how to navigate these things in the therapy room, um, but also on the outside of that is being able to work with the medical team just in case if they're, uh, you know, there's a lot of times where I'll hear people say it's like, you know, well, if this test will just make you feel a little bit better, um, we'll go ahead and run it. Um, and that starts to become problematic uh and not only in a bad way because of course like their people their doctors their helpers they want to be able to help people but sometimes they just run out of what do we do at this point? You know, we you keep coming back, we keep trying to find something, uh, but it's hard to just let a person leave in despair. And so I think that's where we think about, there's, there's some nuances with health anxiety that stick out to me, that's just really important to consider mm-hmm. of how do we try to address those and how do we kind of create those separations, which is exceptionally challenging um, because, if only some of the symptoms of anxiety and the symptoms of health anxiety were mutually exclusive, that would be nice. Um, but there is... Easy for us, definitely. Yes, yes, yeah. There's There's no chest pain from anxiety and chest pain from heart attacks that are... Um, those are unfortunately not necessarily different symptoms, although the the origin of those symptoms might be different. Well said. So this is the dilemma we have, Kevin, which is,
2: again, I'm starting with the assumption that the person we're talking about, the populations we're serving, don't have a, a prevailing medical issue. And if they do, again, treatment goes a little bit of a different direction. But our goal is to make sure that if you don't have cancer, that you don't spend your time having cancer. And the reality is, is there are people walking this earth right now with significant medical issues This is is a sad thing. It's not a funny thing to say. It's a sad thing. There are people walking this earth right now with severe medical issues, people that are dying, people that are on on the precipice of stage four, stage three cancer, of of finding out that they're going to require surgeries that might be impairing to them that are living a more full life than the people who don't have those medical issues, but who live in fear of them. Whether there are physical symptoms right now that are confusing you or not. If you don't have an identified medical issue because you don't know about it or because it's not there, but you're acting like you do, your life is not as positive, healthy, and full as the person who is fighting like H-E double hockey stick to have the life that they want, whether they have two weeks left or 20 years left. And so, again, it's not a joke to us, but it's a bit ironic that for someone who doesn't have cancer, they're living a life worse than someone who's battling and fighting cancer. Like most of us, Mm -hmm. we know if you get diagnosed with something like cancer or some other severe illness, what are we gonna do? We're gonna go get a consult. We're gonna go get chemo. We're gonna go get surgery. We're gonna put on our pink outfits and run marathons and raise funds and fight like hell to try and beat it and get our community to support us around that. But for those of you who don't have cancer or ALS or you're about to have a stroke or a brain tumor or debilitating illnesses, There's no marathon, there's no pink tutu, there's no fundraising, so you're not even getting the benefits of having your community and people to support you, and you're suffering in silence, and Michael and I, and you, and everyone out there who supports people with health anxiety, hate that. I hate that you're suffering in silence for a condition Mm -hmm. that, in a weird way, you can snap your fingers and go, man, if I can give up the rituals and the compulsions And if I can honor the fears that I'm having and recognize that the fears are real in my head, but they may not be really predictive of what's going on, if I can snap my fingers and stop the rituals, which is what we all have a goal for, Mm -hmm. and not engage with that story or narrative of anxiety, I actually can stop a disease. I can't snap my fingers and stop cancer. AIDS, stroke, debilitating diabetes, heart issues. There's no snapping of the fingers to stop that, but we have skills like ERP, ACT, ICBT, metacognitive interventions, medications, yoga, prayer. I mean, lots of them that are out there. We we like to talk about the evidence-based ones that you can actually behaviorally and cognitively change things and actually be subdiagnostic. That's wild. No one has that offer in medical. Not a single medical condition out there, having that you and I can go. If you talk to a therapist and change the way you are, you can no longer have that medical issue. But with health anxiety and OCD, that's a real thing. That's wild,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and yet it's hard to get someone to get there.
0: Yeah, yeah. When you work with folks, because that all of that sounds incredibly encouraging. It sounds. We awesome. needed the music. We needed the Rocky music in the background, didn't we? The John Williams soundtrack. I'll, I'll yeah, I'll put that in post. But <laughs> perfect, perfect. All that said, right? A lot of the folks we work with immediately go back to, yeah, but it feels so real. Or yeah, but yeah. it could. I could have this. I had have it. I have had this. I have a family history of having this, so I I might have it. Right. And that's, I mean, that, that, it just feels like you hit a roadblock with that in a sense, almost as if like the, the the train stops, you hear the, 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 the the record scratch. Yeah. How do you help someone to make this turn, this shift, to view it not as a medical issue, but view it as instead an anxiety issue? Because I think that, that, to make that turn, that's the life changing first turn of all of this.
2: So it's not accidental that michael and i who wrote a book that we're very proud of has some smart assy kind of titles and goofy metaphors and funny dad jokes they're not all funny and stories and narratives and songs and all those things in this book the first title the first chapter of this book kevin which again was written by michael nine published by an Austin awesome production group called live with fear productions look it up that michael and i launched yeah you know you know the first title the first chapter is actually titled this says, this is powerful. You ready? Dun, da, dun. Ready. The first of 10 chapters to overcoming health anxiety. I mean, come on, who gets, who gets away with that? The first chapter is titled the first of 10 chapters. And why is that? Because it's about the mindset that Michael introduced earlier. And that is that we have to convince people at the beginning that you're going to do that Indiana Jones temple of the last crusade leap of faith, where you can't see the platform and you're reading these scriptures and like, you're supposed to take that step off and hope that the ledge is there. And we're asking people to take a leap of faith, not that we know that they're dying or not, Mm. but that. There are things that they can do to live a more full life even if they are battling a medical issue Mm. so the first chapter is about getting people in the mindset of how do you face fears that we believe in the moment are not life-threatening if they are again all the rules change how do you face fears and belief systems and narratives and stories that are not life-altering and if you can face those head-on by acting differently Mm -hmm. thinking differently and um, embracing things that bring on some uh, potential risk and uncertainty, you've at least opened up some space to do something different. And so that's why we actually spend the first chapter not even talking about health anxiety. We talk about what it means to be an anxiety specialist. Kevin, you're one, I'm one, Michael's one, all the people that we surround ourselves with Mm -hmm. in the community are anxiety specialists. And that means that we ask people to do things that feel impossible, and I emphasize feel, but they're not impossible. We ask people to do things that feel like that there are risks, but we don't put people in danger. We ask people to change narratives in their minds that make their world bigger, not smaller. We ask people to help battle symptoms when we're really trying to change systems—systems systems of thinking, symptoms of systems of attitudes, systems of the way things are supposed to be. So, anyways, um, it all begins and ends with getting someone to recognize that they have more control over what they think and what they do, maybe not what they feel. But what they think and do, and if they take that leap with us, maybe just maybe they'll find a bigger, more compassionate world. But you're right. It's the hardest sell part. When someone has spent thousands of dollars, gotten spinal taps, gone to multiple doctors, disregarded you know relevant information, spent all their time on Google, they have a pulse oxometer and a blood pressure cuff and a thermometer and their Apple Watch and all the things that tell them how healthy or not healthy they are, and they're so wedded to that. The first stage of therapy for us is helping them disconnect from all those traps that we believe are keeping them stuck. And for most of us, we call those rituals, compulsions, safety behaviors. So besides changing your mindset, the first negotiation with our clients, aside from educating about what health anxiety is, is we start highlighting what are the compulsions and rituals that you're doing? Again, Michael said, this is very much OCD language. Mm-hmm. We're adopting that language because health anxiety eerily mirrors OCD. So what are your triggers, obsessions, and compulsions? But what are the compulsions? What are the actions of mind and body that you're doing that are keeping you stuck? And if we can separate from those and drop some of them, maybe, just maybe, your life can be a little bit better.
0: I and I, I love that mindset of or the... In, well, first off, I love the descri- the the title of that first uh, chapter. It's, it's special. It's it's both sarcastic and also incredibly descriptive. It is indeed the first chapter of the book. You can't debate that. No, yeah, you can't debate that. Can't. It's truthful. Yeah, it's truthful. Um, yeah. I think if I ever write a book, I think the fourth chapter will just say like just like the first, this is now the fourth. All the other ones will have cutesy names to it. We we expect if you do, we expect royalties, please. Okay, royalties, royalties. Mm -hmm. Well, we we shall talk about that in the uh, ongoing. We will, but um, but yeah, and I think there's such a there there can be such a a mentality and an identity to all of that that you're talking about. They kind of some folks can get into this habit of just saying like I'm, you know, they they don't might, they might not use this language. I'm the sick person. I'm the person who has anxiety. So it's to say, you know, my life is about this because once I solve this, then I can do it. But until then, this is who I am. So to kind of break away from that, gosh, that, that worry of this is all the stuff that's keeping me alive. Right? So if I drop that, I'm just going to drop dead, or if I drop that, then it's just downhill into accepting my inevitable fate. Ultimately, at the end of the day, for all of us who have worked with health anxiety, have talked about this, have been in this world long enough, and and are then going to trust what the doctors have said, we know that, or we can trust that that's highly unlikely. That if that were to happen, you let go of all that and you embrace the health that you presently have, as good or as bad as it is that day.
2: Most of us who are licensed mental health professionals don't want to go to therapy jail. Kevin and Michael, would you agree? Correct. Yeah.
0: Is it in Hawaii? Mm -hmm. If
2: it is, I'd reconsider that. So I don't know where therapy jail is, but it, I don't think I want to be in jail with a bunch of therapists. So Fair. knowing that I don't want to go to therapy jail, yeah, mm-hmm. write that down therapy, jail that makes the next, the next book therapy, jail. <laughs> <That's a good laughs> knowing that I don't want to go to therapy jail and I'd love to not be sued. And the belief that I'm not trying to kill my patients, I'm not trying to take liberty with someone's health. I don't even know if their health status is even accurate. For all I know, again, the doctors have overdiagnosed or underdiagnosed their condition. But when I'm operating with information that tells me currently that you're medically not ill, even if you're physically not doing well, or you're physically okay and just worrying, that is is a critical moment in therapy where I have to then tell someone that if you're not battling that and you're wedded to focusing on your illness, we could possibly be at an impasse. If you're not wedded to that, then treat me like a flight attendant, where if the plane feels wobbly and the wings are kind of going, oh my goodness... And uh, you know, maybe there's some bumps in turbulence. And the flight attendants are serving peanuts cookies. I don't think they do peanuts anymore. So sandwiches, they're walking up and down the peanuts aisle. Kill people, Josh. Come on. Peanut peanuts do kill people. <laughs> Talk about health anxiety. That's definitely yeah, a good yeah. space there. But my <laughs> metaphor is still appropriate here, which is if the flight attendants aren't freaked out, either they're the best paid actors and actresses in the world because they know they're about to die. Or They're not concerned at all because they know what the smell of gasoline or wings wobbling or bells going off or turbulence or fake air pockets. By the way, air pockets are not real things, so you can look it up. They know what's going on. So treat me like the flight attendant. If I'm not freaked out about your non-medical status and you know I don't want to go to therapy jail, maybe, just maybe, put some faith and trust in your therapist, which again, Kevin, is one of the hardest things to do because that means you're giving up all those things that you've been holding on to all the things that have kept you quote unquote alive Mm -hmm. that I think are actually killing you in real time. So I'm your flight attendant, either I'm the worst actor in the world and I'm trying to kill you, which I don't think any therapist is trying to do that. Or maybe just maybe I've seen this before. I know how to help you. And again, in the course of treatment, if accidentally or suddenly you're battling a real medical issue, guess what we're going to do. We're still going to be treating all the worries and concerns you have. We're going to consult medical doctors. We're going to support you. We're going to cry with you. And we're gonna do everything we possibly can to keep it as healthy as possible. But if you're not battling that medical issue, man, trust me, follow me, join me. I sound like, uh, what's your name, I'm brazen out of me. Um, Join me, follow me, trust me, do it, join us. Listen to your flight attendants, they know what's going on here.
1: And one thing I just wanted to add too, kind of going back to your, uh, a little bit to your question and, and kind of what we're talking about here Kevin, is that you, you mentioned this kind of piece of like, but it feels so real. Yeah. And and I think that's a really important thing. Uh, I, I was glad that Josh was talking about the TOs and Cs because I was going to skip to chapter three, but we completely forbid that in the book. So I just didn't want to get out of order. Yeah, can't do that one. Um, but, but in chapter three, you know, I think the other thing that we try to come back to to address that question is it's a legit concern, <laughs> right? Because yeah. when we were talking about symptoms, um you know like you're saying it's like well this really feels like a heart attack i really feel like this is happening so we have to figure out some Mm -hmm. conceptual way to be able to figure out how how do we help people navigate that distinction so we kind of break it up in chapter three in in three different buckets i think is important which we start to talk about medical physical and psychological Mm -hmm. and uh, one thing that at least i tried to do and and i think josh does this to, uh, especially when we're thinking about health anxiety is one of the things that I wanna make sure that whenever somebody comes in with health anxiety and, and anybody that's listening to this right now, if you're saying, but my symptoms feel real, the one thing I wanna echo is because they are, they are real. They are, they're, they're not fabricated, they're not made up. I know not, not uh, you know n- I'm not trying to put anybody under the bus, but sometimes people go to doctors and they say, oh, well, this is just all in your head. Um, and, and I think the thing that people leave feeling very discouraged about is the experience of like, well, these aren't real symptoms. Although they feel real, but they aren't real, but they feel real. And it's just very discouraging place to be, mm-hmm. especially sometimes invalidating. So mm-hmm. one of the things that we try to set up and I think is really important to understand is that whether we're talking about a medical symptom, which we, we describe as, you know, if you have a chest pain because you're having a heart attack, that requires medical intervention. That is a medical symptom. It's because of a medical origin. Um, however, there's another category or a second bucket, we could say, the physical symptoms. We could have chest pain for very other reasons other than heart attacks. Uh, sometimes it can be a, a symptom of acid reflux or it could just be like, I've been, I don't know, I've been gardening all day and I've been shoveling and now the next day I'm like, oh my goodness, my chest feels so tight. Uh, that's, that's not a medical symptom. We don't need you to run to the hospital because of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but we, that does need some type of supplemental care. Mm -hmm. You need to take it easy for a little bit. Ice something, you know, uh, take an ibuprofen, you name it. And then there's also psychological symptoms. And these are still real symptoms that we feel, but a symptom like chest pain, still a real symptom, but we have to explore the idea that it could be also coming from a psychological origin. Which, of course, anxiety can create chest tightness. So when we think about this, like it feels so real, my response is absolutely. hundred percent, it feels very real. And whenever I work with this with clients, I, I kind of lay this out and, and we look at the different buckets and, and then we put one of their symptoms maybe at the very top. And I go, which one do you think your brain puts this into right away? And they're like, medical, totally. Yeah, hundred percent right into the medical bucket and i I think it's important to have this conceptual framework of yes of course like that's the conclusion that our brain is going to because it's scary and in some ways kind of adaptive because you know if we had a bunch of different symptoms and we're just like nah, i'm sure it's nothing uh that probably that would probably catch up to us at some point uh, especially as we age however we it's important to start to kind of create that distinction of like all of these symptoms can be very real We have to start to look at the question of, and that is either in discussions and therapy, also with the coordination with, have we gotten tests? What have they come back with? All of these different types of things. Mm -hmm. Which category are we going to start to put this in? Um, Now, going back to Indiana Jones, and you forgot the Sean Connery part. But Sean Connery is the one that he keeps on going back to. And he goes, you got to just believe in D, right? Um, and we don't have that in the book, unfortunately.
2: I, I feel But, but like we do. We use, we use the Matrix reference quite a bit. That's Keanu true. Reeves. That's true. We go yeah. Matrix on, on that part. Yep. Uh, yeah, okay. That's a good, good, good when one. When he sees the code and gets what's really going on here. Yes, yes. Kevin, uh, Kevin you look baffled. Keanu Reeves is throughout our book, by the way. So... We reference him. We, we adore him. He's, he's one of the greatest actors of our
0: time. I don't know why people don't I love him as much you know as we do. Is. <laughs> Personally or professionally? I, you know I can't talk about clients. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on. The, 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 whole Matrix, the whole Matrix movie
2: is a metaphor for OCD and health anxiety. Things tackling you on in the inside and you, which pill do you take and what do you listen to? And, you know, do you see the code? If you get the code, you know what's really going on. Fight all, you know, fight off all the AI guys. And like, And then you take over the whole world. Your world just got bigger. It is the perfect metaphor for understanding obsessions and compulsions. I
0: digress. Michael, you were saying. How many times have you seen that movie? Because if anybody's wondering, I think you can now have a general guess about how old Josh is but anyhow go ahead I've said a hundred well and, and, I,
1: and I think that's where we come back to right and it comes back to this leap of faith mo- moment uh, and that starts to become part of the therapy process which is and we come back to all those things in terms of valuable actions etc cetera, etc cetera. <laughs> because we come back to this place of like you know if I'm going if I, if I lay out the picture and I say you know my pretty good answer is this is probably from a psychological place mm-hmm. It is a bit of a risk to go with that. Uh, Like you said that, pretty good answer. It's a pretty good answer. (laughs) What else do we have? You know, so, um, and and so, you know, but I I think that is important. And when we address these things of like, is this, you know, but it feels so real. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a place for that to embrace this dialectic of a, like, absolutely it does. And also maybe the origin of these symptoms just may not be where you fear that they be. And and how can we start to live our life in that way? Um, now, the other hard part that I'll just add and mm-hmm. and and we can expand upon this too is that becomes a very difficult decision.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, and unfortunately, I can't make that one. And Josh, you can't make that one. And even Kevin, if you work with some we can't make that decision of what is enough. Um, Because I don't think that's a very fair place for me to make that decision, but it is a place that maybe you can come to a a decision with a therapist or or somebody supportive of, in what ways, even though it might be scary to stop pursuing something, if there's not something going on, Mm -hmm. there is an inherent risk that lies there, which is I could miss something, this is where we get to our feared consequences. Absolutely. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm brushing something off and I shouldn't be. Uh, I could have caught something earlier and those are terrifying. Mm-hmm. And also the consequences of following those might just be you may be living your life as you have the illness, even though you don't. Um, so I think there's that distinction when we think about medical, physical, psychological, that's really important to honor that. Yes, these are real symptoms. They just might not mean what you think they mean. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: And all, all medical symptoms are physical and psychological. All physical symptoms are physical and psychological. So it streams downhill. Mm-hmm. And all psychological symptoms are psychological. So anyone who's having physical symptoms, there's no way they're not having physical and psychological aspects to them. Mm-hmm. And anyone who's having physical symptoms are inevitably worrying or concerned about them. Mm-hmm. And so we don't have to play judge your executioner. We just help people put them in buckets, live with the facts, and then treat accordingly. And that's, that gives them all the agency and power. Mm-hmm. We can accept, and Michael, as you said, I accept whatever your symptoms are, and I'm going to agree with you. I just don't accept or agree with the way you're handling them. And I wanna teach you other ways to handle them yes. so you live a more full life. Yeah. And if things change, if data changes, if facts change, we'll pivot, we'll shift, we'll deal with it. But I'm gonna honor what you're reporting me, reporting to me. I'm gonna agree with the assessment of the, um, of the experience. I just think there's a different way to respond between stimulus and what you do about it. And if we can teach people that little in-between change, Welcome to ERP, ACT, ICBT, mindfulness, CBT—you name it. We got lots of skills to teach people, which is what the second half of the book is all
0: about—all the skills. Incidentally, is the second half of the book is called the second half of the book? If you flip through it, It (laughs) you'll have to find that. It is not. It is not. Um, We thought about it, but you know, it's a good name for it. This feels like—I feel like—ultimately, I'm getting at spaceballs. The book.
2: So i mean come on that is like that is one of the top three that
1: would the be time, the ultimate compliment and that that is the book of all uh, the movie of all although movies. we wouldn't be able to sell
0: merchandise Not so um, yeah. in the middle of the plague, merchandise someone a <laughs> in the middle of the pandemic, saw someone yeah, yeah. a mask that said space the mask Mm, mm-hmm, nice. Oh, I saw that. I high fived that person. Then quickly put Purell on my hand. The um, <laughs> you brought up an interesting point here because there's kind of this balance with health anxiety that I find. Um, uh, something I talk about with my clients is that you know there's um, if 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 you if you have a brand new symptom that you've never experienced before, go talk to a doctor about it. Like, 100%. like have it checked out. And if the doctor says it's something, well, then treat it like it's something by what the doctor is saying. If they're saying it's nothing, then we treat it as if it is indeed nothing. But if it's a symptom that you have had before that a doctor has said it is something, well, then treat it this time as if it is that something. And there's an avenue that you go down. You take a pill, you do a stretch, you do a something, but we don't then continually go back and say, well, maybe it's this something new. Maybe it's something different. And also to that end, kind of this idea of if it's if you have it and the doctor said, eh, it's kind of fine. If it feels the same and stays the same, well, we kind of find a way to live with it. If it's getting better over time, great. If it's getting significantly worse and now limiting your function or it causes severe pain, go talk to a doctor. Yeah. It's kind of a rule of thumb. Sometimes, you know, g- generally speaking, it works to help kind of guide. But, Michael, as you were talking, it it's a... It's an interesting question to say, like, at what point do we put a cap on getting tests and going to the doctor for a thing? Especially if they're having this question of um, the doctors are saying they don't they're not saying it's absolutely a de- designated something, but they're not saying it's absolutely nothing, but they're saying we don't quite know it is what it is. There's this symptom that's going on. At some point, we do have to put a cap then on how much work or how much stress we are wanting to put into. Testing, checking, all of that, and that's and that is part of that. That that's ultimately a a question of response prevention, and then acceptance of the uncertainty of what's now going to happen because we don't have quote the answer from the doctor yet again. And that's a it's a hard question. It's a hard place to be. How do you? Well, I suppose I was going to ask how do y'all get into that, but I suppose that's a case by case basis.
1: I think there can be. A couple thoughts that I just have about it real quick. And uh, I know Josh, you have some things that sometimes you like to throw in this too. So feel free. Um, Two things that come to mind first is trust in your medical team is important. Um, I just had somebody uh, that I met with not that long ago. um, And they said they went to a doctor and they just really got a really bad vibe. Didn't feel like they were listened to. Didn't feel like they were taken serious. Yeah. And there was always this kind of question of like, well, should I just accept that? Like, should I, I don't know. Um, And and I don't think you have to. That um, when we're thinking about this aspect of it's going to be important to have somebody that you can go to that is attentive, that listens to you, that makes you feel like yes, like, you know, we have these things that uh, that I'm hearing you. So I, I think there's there's an important piece that sometimes people are like, well, you know, there can be a difference between do I trust this person do I doubt this person or does my mind doubt mm. this person? And so I think uh, and trust is important. And also uh, the other thing that I think is just important to acknowledge is that um, uh, whether it's based off of, you know, women just in general are often research shows this more dismissed uh, and also minority groups are more dismissed in medical communities. So we we have to acknowledge that there are real things that go into that decision of, am, am I getting an answer or do I feel like I'm brushed off or do I, you know, and, and so those are all legitimate. And I think those are two least important pillars that are important to consider before we start to try to make these decisions of when do I embrace uncertainty? Um, because they, they are very real things that happen in the world. Um, Josh, anything else that you'd want to add with that, too? Well, first of all,
2: I appreciate you acknowledging that there are certain populations out there that are more marginalized and minimized when they complain of medical issues, um, and that is absolutely important to acknowledge. And, Michael, as you started off, I love that, which is trust in your health care providers. However, if you don't, find a different one. Find someone that you feel honors your voice or understands your concerns and you know, I know most of us probably are a bit disgruntled with the, you know, the, the field of medical, of getting access to care and getting timely appointments. And that's a frustration most of us you know, uh, care. But, you know, there's three white men here having this meeting here. And most of us are probably more likely to be heard or understood or treated more quickly in certain populations. So I just appreciate you acknowledging that, Michael. We do acknowledge that in the book and in, presenta- and in presentations that we do. But here, here's, a, here's a critical sort of point for me in this, Kevin, that you brought up, which is medical appointments x-rays cts mris first of all they get those is not so easy to afford them ain't so easy no. but when you get those those are discrete individual i call them like dis- significant milestone moments and so most of us have had guy or girlfriends who have gotten second third and fourth opinions and thank god they did Because if they didn't something would have gotten missed Um, And I have too many examples in my own personal world, including my wife that I've shared another podcast, where if she didn't get her fourth medical opinion, we could have been, I could have been a widow. Something scary could have happened with a situation that she had medical years ago that was easily, sort of easily corrected with surgery and some rehabilitation. But if it was left untreated, I could have lost her to a ruptured liver. Um, And I don't show that to scare people or to trigger them. The point is, is I don't know how many referrals and second and third and fourth opinions you need to get the answers you need. None of us do. No what i do know is whether you're going for that recurring issue kevin that you alluded to you know you had something a few months ago a few years ago and maybe it came back maybe it didn't that if you want to set up another consult or another appointment listen i don't think it's up to me to decide whether you do that or not but the 18 questions you ask your friend who's a nurse and the 23 times you go online to Google, is it or isn't it? Mm-hmm. And the day that you spend wondering about all of the what ifs, all of those microscopic moments in, beti- in between today and the appointment you have in three weeks. Yeah, those are two moments. My therapy session with you. And that second, third or fourth CT or MRI you're going to get, you know, in three weeks from now, those are two discrete moments. But in between moment A, my session with you, and that seminal medical appointment that will or will not prove what's going on, Mm -hmm. there's about a million opportunities to ritualize between now and then. And I can help you with those. So I might agree or disagree with whether you need another consult, but listen, I don't live your life. And I sure as heck don't want to be wrong and don't want to go to therapy jail. But between now and then... I know that there's a long list in the back of the book that Michael and I wrote and on our website, by the way, overcoming com. You can download and print those lists. They're in our book, and they're also on our website um, that are filled with all of the funny and nuanced rituals that people do around health anxiety. And again, whether it's about food allergies or medical issues or cancer, kidney issues, heart issues, you name it. Rituals and compulsions, you know, it, it runs runs the gamut of all the most obvious and the most idiosyncratic things people can do. Going to appointments, avoiding appointments. Asking people, not asking people. I mean, you can go either direction on that. Avoiding foods, eating foods to test it out. It doesn't matter which side you go. So Kevin, in the back of our book, we list tons of rituals and compulsions that people do. And the beauty of that is, is if I can teach someone to eliminate, you know, 50 to 70% of those microscopic behaviors... I really don't care whether they go for a third or fourth or fifth consult because those are significant moments that will determine yes or no whether something's going on or not, but rituals and compulsions don't. So I don't know if that fourth consult is a compulsion or it's going to actually be the meeting that saves their life. But I do know going on WebMD, Google asking your uncle, who's a, you know, a podiatrist, checking things out online, Reddit, you know, um, whatever, you know, listservs you're on, you know, avoiding news articles or reading news articles, those Mm -hmm. don't determine whether you have cancer. So, you know, reading a lot, reading a story about cancer does not give you cancer and avoiding stories about cancer doesn't give you cancer. So when you start doing those things that I don't believe add any value to your life, those are the things I want to eliminate because that is the body of things that are sucking the vortex of hell out of your whole existence. And if we can attack those, I don't care if you go over another doctor's appointment, do what you want. I don't care because those individual moments are far and few between. But the hundred to thousands of things you do a day that are killing you, if we at least address those and someone says, well, I'm not going to address those or their doctor's appointments, Kevin. Well, now we know what's going on here. Mm-hmm. But if someone's like, sure, I'm going to keep my doctor's appointment But yes, I will work on reducing all the things I do online behavior mentally to solve an existential crisis that I can't solve, to to solve this hundred puzzle piece puzzle, but I'm missing piece 999, so I can't actually solve the puzzle. If you're willing to give that up, and I don't care about your doctor's appointment, but if you're not going to give those up, then honestly, your doctor's appointment doesn't matter because whether you find out you have something or not, you're going to spend the next 10 years of your life chasing things that have shadows. And I know enough about shadows to know that unless you stand still and die or just stand on the light and not move, either one of those is death. It can't catch your shadow unless you're Peter Pan.
0: And he had trouble with it. He
2: had trouble with it. Yeah. So I don't support people spending their time doing all those microcosmic rituals, but if you want to go for another consult, God bless you. Go for it. I'm not going to get in the way of that.
0: I think that's a, that's a really helpful and nuanced way to view this, that we're not saying never. We're not saying don't care for your health. We're saying have open yourself up to living your life now between that time between now and that time that you do get that test there can be freedom and life and fun and joy between within those two things that otherwise would have been filled with stress and reassurance and stuff that ultimately doesn't let you live your life you're living outside of that into in a fantasy land where you have it you don't have it you might have it but you're ignoring the present moment of life that Having having lost
2: people to cancer, having lost people to cancer and having had people in my family and loved ones who have beaten cancer, to me, the real cancer is what you just described, Kevin. Mm. Spending your day chasing something that you'll never actually be able to catch. Mm
1: -hmm. And And that's a death I don't wish on anybody. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that comes to my mind when we think about this dynamic, right, is like, you know, so we have this openness to be, you know, if you want to go for that consult, if you want to go to the emergency room, go be it. You know, if we can cut out those smaller things. And then I think at some point, the question we have to ask ourselves is there's going to be a competition of time. Mm -hmm. And so there's going to be a moment where maybe we get much better at um, leaving WebMD alone or stop bugging our Uncle Larry or whatever it might be. And, uh, and we, we we might be getting down to these times where it we, we're still pursuing medical appointments, or we might be a super pursuing the emergency room. <clears throat> and one of the discussions I think is really important to, to whether it's to consider in your own mind or to have with somebody is, um, I, people might know this or not, but usually if you go to the ER, it's usually not a short experience, um, at least here in St. Louis, um, I don't know if it's anywhere else. Um, But that's a chunk of time, and so how is that also impacting your life? Because if there's this chunk of time that we could use sitting in the ER for eight hours, Mm -hmm. um, but now we're missing important life events or things with family Mm
0: -hmm. or
1: missing work, um, well, those those become some really tough decisions. Mm -hmm. And so maybe we can even set up this dynamic of a fork in the road of saying, I still may feel like i need to go to the urgent care to get this checked out however i have to wrestle with myself in this in this situation to say if i do that i might also have to sacrifice other important things in my life Mm -hmm. is that worth it Um, now again we can't make that decision um but it is a really important dynamic that i like to kind of lay out for people to say these are still things that you could go do, mm-hmm. but they're also going to have consequences on the other side of them. And, and we, we just don't get that time back. Um, and so, you know, maybe there's some times where, you know, if, if you know, if 90% of the time you go to the emergency room anyway, sure, mm-hmm. uh, go for it. Um, uh, however, if there's 10% of the time that we can make that decision to say, you know what, I'm just going to bank on this not being a thing. Um, and 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 you know, if the flight attendant is not freaking out, I'm just going to try to not freak out either unless the plane really goes down. Um, and if that's the case, we we talk about this and in, in towards the end of the book too, we hope that as we're talking about health anxiety, we're not just talking about how do we reduce rituals? How do we stay out of the ER? How do we stop worrying about things? But the most important thing that I really want people to be able to get back to is the life they're afraid to lose. And, and if we're in the ER, we're losing life. And so I, I think there's a really important and difficult decision point that we have to make at some points to say, maybe there's sometimes I could stay home and, and spend some quality time with a family, kids, you know, a spouse, whatever it might be. And is that scary? You betcha. Is it valuable? Yeah.
0: It's a, it's a strong values-based decision that they're going to have to make. And it can feel like you're saying to make, to make one decision, you have to say the other one's unimportant. To say my family is important means that my health is unimportant. And it's certainly not what we're saying. It sounds like that's not what you're saying in this. Is you're saying both of these things can absolutely be important, but what are, which one do you want to win out for this moment? And each of those can be individual choices that that you make. And if all if all your choices are then about your health, you do sacrifice this other area. And is that the choice and the decision you want to move forward with? It sounds like that's, there's a, a lot of conversation and consideration that can be done around that. Absolutely. And, and
2: I don't I don't think the battle has to be between the joyful and loving activities that Michael just alluded to, which we spend time in the second to last chapter, not called the second to last chapter. Um, it's actually called <laughs> Talk About Joy." Um, bring bring the back positivity in your life from warrior to warrior. Um, we're talking about addition by subtraction, which is getting rid of rituals. And then we're talking about addition by addition, which is adding things to your life. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the work that anxiety specialists do when we talk about ritual prevention or stepping back from your anxiety or recognizing that you're inferentially confused or giving up this narrative or stepping back from you know the bubble if you're following an ICBD approach um or anything else like this is you're trying to give up the negativity. And that's that's addition by subtraction. All of us in our favorite sports teams want to get rid of that worst player. And when you get rid of them, we're a little bit we're a little bit better. We're not a lot better, we're a little bit better. But we get a lot better by signing the best quarterback, the best wide receiver, hiring the best coach, adding the best, adding the best, adding the best. So a lot of the interventions are about removing stuff out of your life that's not helpful. And the other part is adding things to your life that have been missing or not attended to as you've been searching for answers. And so I don't know, Kevin, if it's as much about family versus my health as it is about family versus, as I love what Michael said, the loss of time. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that people are so health anxiety focused is probably a lot of them are fearful of, you know, losing time, dying, dying prematurely, missing out. And like, what an ironic way to honor that by wasting time doing things that are actually detracting from your life. So if we can help people with all the CBT skills that we teach people, give up some unhealthy behaviors, habits and responses, which typically is called ritual prevention. Mm-hmm. And we can teach them to reorient back towards values-based actions. Again, values are not goals. Values are actions. Nike nailed it when they said, just do it. They didn't say, just think about it or just consider it. They said, just do it. Do anything. Just do it. And so doing it in this case is doing the things that matter to you, that move you forward. And so a lot of the book talks about the beginning, middle, and end. Stop doing things that are running away from which is what health anxiety and OCD is all about and start doing things that are running cords, adding to building. And I don't know anyone who would say that I spent more time with my family. I've added to my life. I brought more joy and harmony into my world. I don't know anyone who would regret that. Even if they found out in the process, they were battling a medical issue. And I, I, even in the book, I get very transparent and share, share an experience with my father, who I loved to death, and I got pictures all next to him over here in my office, and he was my hero, hero and mentor, and I wish he could see me with this book out and all the wonderful things in my life that he meant so much to me. But he died in his early 70s to stage four lung cancer that spread to his brain, brain cancer, and the guy never smoked a day in his life never smoked a day in his life. Now he traveled on airplanes for probably 30 years with the work he did. So he was around smokers in the seventies and eighties and in the seventies and eighties, everyone smoked. So, but the old adage is the guy never smoked a day in his life. And I'm very proud of that. And he died of lung cancer and brain cancer, but until he was ill, which was the last eight months of his life, minus like, I think a hip injury. And this guy was never sick a day in his life until the day we found out he had lung cancer, and brain cancer. He lived the fullest life. And if he spent the last four to six years chasing uh, cancer that he didn't have, would he have more years afterwards? It's possible. You know what, we don't know it's possible, but I don't want him to spend those final five to 10 years chasing cancer. I want him to spend those last five years living the most amazing life possible. And so, yeah, we lost him, broke my heart. He's my hero, I love him and I miss him every day. It's been almost 10 years, but he spent every day living the most full life. And what happened to him happens to everyone. Got sick and died. Sucks. What he didn't do is lose, lose time in life chasing the possibility of death. And so I'd give anything to bring him back, but I wouldn't give anything to have him alive and spend 10 years chasing an illness that doesn't exist. Mm. And that's the story of this book, which is unless you're battling an identified medical issue, that's imminent and dangerous, which some people out there are, and for all of them, we pray for you. We love you. And we hope you get better. For the rest of you, it's time to let go of that chase. Drop the rope and start doing things that add to your life and bring joy and harmony to the people around you that love you to death. And if you can pursue that, go to your doctor's appointments, be vigilant about your physical, medical, and psychological health, but look around and realize what you're missing out on. And most of us don't want to spend you know our final years chasing something that doesn't actually matter. So I just hope when people read this book, they're inspired by some of those stories that Michael and I personally shared, and that we teach specific skills to teach you how to let go of those things. And not just do addition by subtraction by giving stuff up, but addition by addition, add more things to your life that give you more purpose, meaning and intentionality. And I think that's what all of us as therapists have been trying to bring to all the people that we work with.
0: That's incredibly well said. I, I'm struggling to try to find a, a fancy way to tag on to that to make myself sound really smart too. But well, done, I can you know. give a funny joke if you want, or, or you know, a <laughs> have Any <laughs> funny jokes for that? I think that was beautifully <clears throat> said. I, I'm sorry And I'm looking at the time, and I know we, there was there was one aspect that I that I know we talked about that we wanted to address about the challenge of doing ERP from a book, or the challenge of being able to yeah. a, address that effectively from a book, especially in the in the light of. In the light of health, right? Because when we're talking about response prevention, we're talking about pulling back on, on compulsive behaviors. But those compulsive behaviors are theoretically safety behaviors, right? And in the light of you could miss it, how does tell, talk about the challenges if you could of helping someone through exposure and response prevention via a book.
1: a good question one of the
2: yeah one of the challenges we had was how do we not guide someone down the wrong path Mm -hmm. how do we help someone learn skills that we offer in therapy knowing that a lot of people who read this book or who read books like this probably will not have access to a therapist because there's not enough kevin's and michael's and josh's around the world they're just not um and how do we teach people a skill that most of us believe wholeheartedly saves lives and that skill is called exposure therapy, and it's a skill. And done in the wrong hands, it can mess people up. Mm-hmm. If you do exposure therapy too harshly or too fastly, it can flood someone, it can overwhelm them. It can make them feel more scared and less less secure about what they're doing. And so Michael and I went back and forth on this, is do we add a chapter in here about this magical mystery tour called exposure therapy? Because if it's done poorly, it can really actually cause some damage. And there's research to support that, which is poor exposures can actually traumatize or hurt people. But clinicians who are trained in this are trained on understanding how to push it and how to pull back, how to have the client or patient be an agent and choose what they're doing, how to give them the options, how to empower them to make those calculative decisions of when do I do something and when do I not. So um, we wrote a chapter about exposure therapy, and we were very specific about not using the phrase exposure therapy as sort of the tool, but we call them challenges. And we call them challenges, Kevin, because everyone in the world, Faces fear. Everyone in the world experiences anxiety. That's a ubiquitous experience, which means technically everyone at times in their life have to face fear head on. And fortunately for most of us, most things that fear feel fearful are not actually dangerous. Thank goodness. This would be a much scarier place. But our brain doesn't care. The amygdala, the limbic region, our brain doesn't decipher when we're in fight, flight, or freeze. It doesn't know whether it's a cougar and a leopard and a car about to kill us or if it's just me on a treadmill with my heart pumping. So the brain doesn't know the difference, but we do. And so this chapter about exposure therapy, which is part of the E of ERP, is really about teaching people an empowering skill of find something that you are scared of that you were scared of before you ever read the book and find a way to creatively engage with it in a way that is up to you at your dosing, at your timing, under your decision, and see if you can get on the other side of that scary event, assuming that scary event does not pose real imminent danger. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of books out there, Kevin, There are colleagues have written that we love that have included exposure therapy, you know, some of them are more academic for therapists like us, and some of them are more for the lay consumer. And it's a hard bouncing act to write about how to face fears head on. And so Michael and I went in depth. I mean, we went almost manualized about here's how you set it up. Here's what you should document. Here's how you try it. Here's how you pull back. We try to get as prescriptive as possible. And maybe we are too prescriptive and too meticulous. And maybe we weren't meticulous enough, but we knew we wanted to talk about the concept of taking brave actions, which, by the way, we do this with five-year-olds and seven-year-olds and nine-year-olds in our practice all the time. Absolutely. So there are kid therapists I treat all ages and a lot of people on our team at Anxiety Specialists of Atlanta here in Atlanta treat all ages. So we do this with kids all the time. You know what we do, Kevin? We do it with kids in our office often with their parents as well, we send them home and say, go try that challenge on your own and come back and tell me all about it. And we have parents helping them with that. And then we reward them and we make it fun and creative. It's it's almost an extension of play therapy. Mm -hmm. It's just play therapy with bravery. So Michael and I really wanted to add a chapter in here about this concept of how to experience fear under your control because fear and anxiety is the antithesis of control it removes a feeling of control out of our lives. So, you know, did we execute the chapter perfectly? Honestly, I don't know, only time will tell, but it was our attempt to bring something that is very manualized, very secretive, and done in a laboratory to people's homes through our paperback and and ebook. And hopefully that people can take this and find fun, creative, and lighthearted ways to face challenges that they face every single day with more bravery, with some fun in their own life. And if they can do that, They've cracked part of the code of living the fullest life, and instead of living in fear, doing it by living with fear. And if they can do that, man, they're doing better than most of us. Michael, what are your thoughts on that exposure chapter?
1: I can't, I'm just reflecting back. I can't, uh, the amount of discussions that we had to try to figure out where to put this, how to put this. The hardest one to write. Yes. Correct. Um, you know, the, the all great points, and and I think this is where it goes back to our beautifully named first chapter. Um, is that you know put into the put into hands of you know of not doing this intentionally. Um, it, you know, there's a lot of perspectives or ways that you could approach exposures or challenges that are just not helpful. And I think that's where we started with the first chapter of just this idea of like, how do we lean into things? How can we have this mindset? And I was looking through and, you know, the other thing that we just kind of put in in there was just, and, and that I hope that we can embrace is, how do we how do we think like an exposure therapist? Um, because like what Josh had mentioned, we don't want you to go into exposures as just like, let's just get this thing done. Uh, let's go through this chapter and just Definitely barrel through not. it. Um, because those are not gonna be helpful. Um, however, I, I think the the challenge of that was attempting and, and like Joshua said, maybe we hit the mark, maybe we're off, we're not sure yet. Um, but this aspect of how can we at least prepare you to think in this way about leaning into things um, and, and just like what we, what we were talking about with the entire book is how can we do it with a and start to shift that relationship of how we relate kind of back to your question that you were talking about in the beginning of the podcast, Kevin, of like your relationship with some of these different types of things. Mm-hmm whether it's the relationship that we have with our physical symptoms the relationship that we have with just our health in general i know this often changes for people um you know just in different phases of life right like our relationships with our health start to change and it's like so i think one of the things that we were trying to be very intentional about was trying to embrace this mindset of what is going to be the most helpful and productive way to be able to approach some of these challenges. And, um, and then going back to our discussion about adding things to our life, that we hope that as we're practicing these challenges, some of these challenges might relate to some of the things that you would really like to do. Um, I know there's multiple clients I've worked with that maybe the biggest concern is if they like to go out to sporting events or movies or anything that's a fun experience but it also can be a scary experience because then we're looking up well how far away is the nearest hospital uh can somebody get to me in time and if it's too far away oh i don't think i can do that um now you better believe that is a challenge if we were going to say but i really do want to go to this game or whatever or this event whatever it might be this concert And so we start to kind of think about how we can incorporate some of those really positive and meaningful things in our lives Mm -hmm. in terms of, okay, so a hospital may not be as close to me as I would like, however, maybe I can take on that challenge. Maybe I can lean into that. So I think this mindset that we were really trying to help people prepare for, um, knowing that they're not going to probably have a guide there with them every step of the way, To be able to try to set things up that people could engage in some of those challenges, like Josh said, we would give to people as you know, like, well, why don't this week you try that out? Um, So then that way, maybe they can start to overcome some of those things that they're most concerned about. And also they get the benefit of having something added back into the life. That's really positive.
0: Love that perspective. Love that perspective of of having, of, of having a goal, having a, a, a direction that you're moving in that's positive, that's desired, and is the life that that person actually wants to live, as opposed to just doing a bunch of weird exercises about someone's health or doing something that is intentionally poking the bear of their anxiety. It's instead let's focus on that thing that they actually want out of life, and isn't that the point of therapy in the first place?
1: Absolutely. Amen. Amen. Yeah.
0: Well, so, I, now, I, oh, go ahead.
1: I was just gonna add one more thing, but if we need to wrap up, that's cool too. The one other thing that we just laid out in the exposure chapter that might be a little bit different, happens in panic, is there are some considerations that we need to take in terms of just physical symptoms in itself. Uh, And sometimes that's the other thing that we have to just make sure that, uh, whether it's dizziness, lightheadedness, uh, those are usually what we discuss as introceptive exposures. Is there anything that's really dangerous about dizziness? No. Uh, Is there anything that's really, like uh, values driven about dizziness? I don't think so, unless anybody really values being dizzy, which, oh, okay, I, I'm not gonna judge you, but I think there's, those, there's, there's a lot of different things within that chapter, whether it is a little bit more targeted towards, hey, how can I change my relationship that I have with these physical symptoms? Or back to what you're talking about, Kevin, how can I move my life in a more positive, valued-filled direction? That um, I hope that if we can start to apply some of those, not only are you probably moving past some of the parts of your health anxiety, but you're probably getting a lot of your parts of your life back, too. So,
0: Absolutely. Well, yeah, I, I, I know we're getting to a little bit of the end of our time. Uh, I know some of us have still have clients in our day. But um, but is there anything else that you'd want to tack on at the end to either give folks some encouragement who may be struggling with health anxiety or a family member who's struggling with health anxiety and they're just looking for a little bit of optimism, potential hope or a direction on what they can do. Um, what would you say to that person who may be needing a good word? Get down with disease.
2: What I mean by that is if you can start to be okay with the possibility of whatever you're battling, you can be down with disease and realize that until you're medical. There are a hundred other ways to cope with and live with these fears. This book and therapists like the three of us spend all of our time helping people face what feels like very real battles, and they are real battles, but they can be faced and handled in a different way. And the reality is is that these are very scary things that can really take the life out of you, and they don't have to. And there are resources out there, including this book, obviously, the website that we've launched, OvercomingHealthAnxiety.com, the International OCD Foundation, podcasts like this that we love, Kevin, and wonderful YouTubers out there that are providing lots of wonderful free resources to remind people that thoughts are real experiences, but you don't have to buy every single thought you have. Mm -hmm. And we are judged not by our private events, not by the things that are inside of us. Not by our thoughts and feelings, but by the things that we say out loud and the things that we do. All of us are walking around with all sorts of insecurities and fears, vulnerabilities and things that we're not proud of on the inside. That makes us human. But what people are judging us for are the ways in which we show up and the ways in which we live our lives. And I just hope that people recognize that they're not alone, that there's a a large network of therapists out there fighting every day with you to give you the life that you deserve. And if you can step back for a moment and recognize the things that you're most scared of, which are real fears, don't have to be the things that motivate you and drive you. There is another way to live a full life other than ritualizing, compulsing and following a narrative that wants nothing from you Mm. except to watch you suffer. And I don't believe that's the human experience just to suffer. I think it's about connection and livelihood and supporting each other and being kind to each other. And that requires you to be kind to yourself and to give yourself that space and grace to go, listen, this is not easy and this is not fun, but I don't have to do it by myself. So I'm grateful that individuals like you have these podcasts because as many clients as we all see that we ought to go to in just a few minutes, it is these media platforms and organizations like the IOCDF mm-hmm. that are gonna have a bigger impact because these are the things that people share.
0: Mm.
2: And these are the things that are easily accessible and that they're free. And so we're here to offer what we believe are some of the leading best practices out there that we've digested down to a very affordable book. But these are things that we do in our practice. And so Michael and I were dead set on writing a book that we were proud of, but writing a book that felt like you were in session with us. And so one of the biggest compliments that someone can give Michael and I if they read our book, (laughs) if they put a review on Amazon, um, or if they reach out to us, which our email for this book is in the book is it felt like I was in therapy with you guys. And if anyone has ever spent time with us, and I guess if they listen to this podcast, they have Kevin, mm-hmm. um, we take this very seriously. We don't take ourselves very seriously. So that's the kind of therapist you're gonna get. We're gonna fight till the final moment to give you the biggest life you can, but we're gonna do it with humor, mm. and compassion, and kindness, and sarcasm, and sprinkling in a few scary statistics. And if you get that from us, You've gotten what I think is the best of the best that science offers and that brings together the art and science of what psychotherapy is. And it's been a pleasure to write this book with Michael and to get it out there. We hope that you guys experience what it's like to be in in session with us, even if
1: we never get the pleasure to meet you. Yeah. Just one more thing that I would add real quick and we can wrap up is, um, uh, you know, there's, I was talking to a good friend. That's a, that's a, a family physician and, uh, you know, there's a lot of those experiences where if somebody keeps coming into them with health anxiety, they're not, they want to help, but they're not quite sure what to do anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, they say what five to 10% of the population. Um, and uh, although I, I think that's that's probably undercutting things because there's it's probably under, a lot yeah. of people going to doctors. And I think there's one thing I just want to touch on real quick and, and that just might take away for hope is There's so many times and i'm sure there's millions of people that right now go to doctors can't get an answer can't get an answer that scan didn't show anything that test didn't show anything there's no answers this medication is not working why can i not find an answer and if there's not a place of hopelessness uh that would be it um and and i wish people and this is why it's so awesome to be able to um to be on this with you kevin is if there's some way that we could teach people or at least let people know there's something we can do about this, it just may not be what you think it is, life can come back. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's one thing that's always really driven me during this is just that pursuit. And I think it's pretty similar with OCD, right? Because people have tried a lot of different therapy and it has just kind of felt hopeless. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I hope to be able to bring to the health anxiety space, which is... There's actually something that you can do. It just not may, It just might not be with a medical provider. So I think that's the one thing that I would want people to know, um, because life can come back, and that's pretty amazing.
0: Love it. Love it. Guys, thank you so much for joining me today. So, um, uh, if if uh, I'll, I'll I'll try to include some of your contact information if anybody wants to find more about you. <clears throat> if I get some questions about health anxiety, would either one of you be willing to jump back on on a future episode to help talk about some uh, health anxiety questions? Would be
2: would be our absolute pleasure.
1: Absolutely. Yep.
0: Awesome. Well, you heard it here, folks. If you have questions, throw them at me. I'll try to wrangle these two fellas back in. We'll. Uh, we'll as connect.
1: long as we call it. Lovingly, the second podcast on health anxiety, just like our first chapter is the first chapter of 10. We could call this the second chapter or the second podcast on health anxiety.
2: Done. Or, or, or part, part due. Part two. <laughs>
0: <sighs> well, you better guys, know the, well, the reference. And um, I'll, 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 put the, I'll put up the vote for people on Instagram if you want to.
1: There we go. Love it.
0: Questions. So, again, Way thank up. you so much for joining me to talk about your book. Go check it out. I'll put up a link to it. And uh, again, Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for listening to the FearCast. If you would like your question answered on a future episode, please click on the submit a question link at fearcastpodcast.com. If you would like your question answered sooner, Please send me a recording of your question to questions at fearcastpodcast.com or by sending me an audio message through Instagram by DMing me at fearcastpodcast on Instagram. If you like the Fearcast, please write a review on your podcast platform of choice. Please remember that the FearCast is not substitute for psychotherapy. If you need a little bit of help in your recovery, please go over to FearCastPodcast.com and click on the Find Help link, and there's going to be some information for you there. So until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.